Luke chapter 24, let's start in verse 36, actually. It says, while they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said, peace be with you. They were talking about the idea, this, people have been reporting that Jesus is, is uh, not dead no more. Like, this is something we got to talk about. And he appeared with them, and so they were startled, which is an appropriate response. I mean, if your loved one had passed away and then three days later uh, walks through a door into your front your living room, that's alarming. It was an appropriate response. They were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. That's basically Bible talk for a ghost. They thought they saw a ghost. And he said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit doesn't have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. A ghost doesn't have a body. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieving for joy, that's Bible talk, for they just couldn't believe their eyes. And were marveling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? Resurrecting is a lot of work. I'm hungry. And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. Would you, uh, would you pray with me, Father? Would you give us insight into your words this morning? That's 2,000 years ago, you resurrected from the dead, which is kind of a big deal, and we want to allow that to be the big deal that it is in our own hearts and our own minds today. Thank you so much. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. There was a, uh, a report uh, released recently from Rasmussen that said that 77% of Americans believe that Jesus rose from the dead. That's an astonishing number. And it begs the question, well, then why is our society like it is if 77% of us believe that he rose from the dead? And as I was thinking and contemplating that, I was thinking, you keep using that word believe. I don't think it means what you think it means. <laughs> I don't think that believe meant what they thought it meant when they asked him that question. Because when I've believed something, it actually changes the way that I act. It changes the way that I think. It changes the way, it changes the way that I feel. And if there are 75% of Americans that believe that Jesus resurrected from the dead, I believe our country would be a different place than it is right now. I think it's because we don't believe the way that we think that that word means. Here's what I mean. The disciples believed it, and look what their reactions were. Startled, frightened, terrified, troubled, filled with doubts. They were amazed, marveled, they were joyful. Like resurrection, a real live resurrection of Jesus leaves no room to feel that the way that the average American Christian feels, which is completely comfortable. We feel completely at ease with this idea because it's a platitude. And in our society right now, actually a lot of people, I would say even in our own community, surprisingly, shockingly, disappointingly, have even spiritualized the resurrection. Spiritualized it in the way that like Leonardo DiCaprio, my life will go on. Like he's like this ethereal 
floating in the atmosphere, Jesus, that this spiritualized it. In our southern tradition, we think, well, this is just what we do every Easter. We get dressed up and we go to church because that's just what we do. We've traditionalized it. We've platitudized it. I don't think that's a word. We've made it a platitude. We've spiritualized it into the ethereal. And what I think Luke is doing here, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is not leaving us that option. It's almost like the idea that if I can spiritualize the resurrection, I can be comfortable, but I'm not going to have the truth. Because a real live Jesus walking around, he said, why did he say, give me a fish, touch me, I'm flesh? A real live walking Jesus is a game changer. If you've been around for any length of time, you have said goodbye to a loved one, maybe even someone really close and dear to your heart. And we know that they're Souls are taken care of that they're, you know, in heaven for those that. But Jesus didn't, he went, he got up and walked after that. And I think that that should cause us all of these emotions, terror. Because if he rose from the dead, that means that all these things that I thought, I have to change. I have to think, whoa, that, it's a scary thought to change. I don't know about you, but I don't really like to change very much. I like the idea of change. I just don't like changing. It's an aspirational value. It's scary to think that I have to change. But it doesn't just stay in terror. It actually moves to wonder and amazement and joy. Because what he's really saying is, I'm changing you into this new creature in Christ. And I think that for this morning, what my hope would be in just the few minutes that we have together is I want to pop your resurrection bubble. I want us to look back at this in a way that causes us the terror that it should cause us, to cause us the joy that it should cause us, to ditch the comfort that we embraced so much with it. Because when I believe something... It changes the way that I think. There's three things it changes. The way that I think, the way that I act, and the way that I feel. It changes my mind, it changes my will, and it changes my heart. If I really believe it. If I use that word believe and it means what I think it means. It's going to change everything about it. And the way that we think is actually, that's what happened if you've got your Bibles, the book of Acts. That's what happened to Paul in chapter 17. He's preaching in a city called Athens that still exists to this day, a city that probably mirrored much of what our city or our country would look like, philosophical, wise, studied, prosperous, everybody searching for truth, everybody looking for your own truth. They probably had their own Greek opera. You know, we're just looking, just all seeking And he stands up in that city and he says, hey, look, I know we're all seeking. And you can actually see this on Oprah. We're just seeking for our own truth, hoping that you got your truth and I got my truth. And how can we really know truth? And he's talking, you've all, there's all gods. We've all been seeking for so long. And the philosophical people, the philosophers, the professors, the prosperous people of Athens were saying, that's so true. That's me. Maybe they teared up. I don't know. But he goes on to say in verse 30, but those times of ignorance 
God overlooked. Because now he commands people everywhere to repent. We're all searching. We're all looking. We all want that pat answer. You know. But it's so funny. It seems to me, this is a generalized statement, so take it for what it's worth. People that hate pat answers the most, most live in the most pat answer of all. Because if I'm just searching and you're searching and I'm looking and you're looking and nobody can really know what's right and what's true, could there be a more pat answer than that? Any more of a cop-out than that to live in? Nobody really knows. Paul is saying here, the search is over. All those clues that were pointing to somebody, Jesus isn't a clue pointing to truth. He is the truth that the clues were pointing to. And he says in verse 31 that because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, and of this he has given assurance to all by what? By raising him from the dead. And at that point, they went batty. They shut him down. They freaked out because he's telling them they understood the implications of what he was saying. Your search is over. And if you like searching, if you like wondering, because it does, I don't have to commit to anything, that's actually a proper response. Anger is a proper response. Comfort is not. Comfort is an intellectually dishonest response. It's not even acknowledging what happened. And he's challenging them like I believe it challenges us today that if Jesus really resurrected, look, not just ethereal, a spirit, a real life Jesus resurrected from the dead, it's a game changer. Now, you might be thinking, well, why is it such a game changer? Because don't other religions have resurrections in them? Doesn't even Christianity have a resurrection in it or two? It does. Elisha and the widow, he raised the widow's son. And Jesus himself raised Lazarus. Remember Lazarus? Lord, he's been dead three days. He stinketh. <laughs> Don't bring that in here. Jesus' resurrection was markedly different. Think, let's, just talk, let's just take Lazarus for the sake of conversation. Lazarus had been dead for three days. He stinketh. They had to roll the stone away, and they had to help him because he was all bound up in the grave clothes. If you were here Friday night and you saw that we had the, uh, the mummy, the Jesus dead body on here, there was a reason for that. We wanted to evoke the, the penalty of sin, but that's what he would have looked like wrapped up. But Lazarus' resurrection was different because they had to help him out of his grave clothes. They had to untie him. They had to roll away the stone. You might be thinking, yeah, but they rolled away the stone for Jesus. Do you think that they rolled away the stone so that he could get out? Is that what you thought? He's walking through walls. They rolled away the stone so we could get in. Jesus' resurrection, the grave clothes were just lying on the stone on the table because he, he passed right through them. He could have passed right through those doors. And look, Lazarus, he got to have two funerals. He got to have two tombs. Because in Lazarus, death lost its grip for just a moment. 
It lost its grip, but in Jesus, death lost its power. That's why I think, why would John say in Revelation, when he encounters the real and living Jesus, in Revelation 1 and verse 17, he says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead, but he laid his right hand on me saying, fear not, I'm the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore. I have the keys of death and Hades. Death didn't lose its grip, it lost its power. If I were to make a claim this morning that I am an acrobat, first of all, you could look at me and think, well, I don't know. But let's not forget Chris Farley. It, does, it is possible. But I could verify my claim by just doing handsprings all the way down the back of the aisle because that's what an acrobat can do. Jesus' claim of defeating death, Jesus' claim of being immortal, Jesus' claim of being God was proved, was verified when he got up from the grave never to die again. Death lost its power over him. And therefore over us. And it's important for me to understand it because when I see a real live living Jesus and I see that it's verified and proven that it wasn't like weekend at Bernie's where they just drug around Jesus' dead body for a few days. It was Jesus walking around real live. When I understand that that's why Paul can say it's time for everyone, everywhere, to repent, to change the way that you think. The search is over. I can no longer say, I'm just searching. Now, I can dumb it down, but not based on what Luke is saying. I can't dumb it down here. He didn't leave me room to spiritualize it. Why do you think that not only did it say fish, but it said broiled fish? Not just because it wasn't in the south, obviously. It would have been fried. But it's saying broiled fish because he's not talking about some myth and some legend. He's reporting the facts. He's making a claim, not recounting a myth. These are details that if you're recounting a myth, why would I put broiled fish in that? He's saying, no, this happened to me. And I wonder when John wrote these words, keeping this in mind, when John wrote these words, in 1 John 1, he said, That which was from the beginning, in verse 1, which we have heard, we have seen with our own eyes. He's talking, this is a first-hand account. We've looked upon, I've touched with our hands concerning the word of life. It's almost like he's saying, look, I get it that this is a crazy thing to say. I understand that this sounds bizarre. I understand that this claim is narrow, that it's not wide. But what else can I do? I saw him. I touched him. I died for him. Of the 12 disciples, one of them, Judas, committed suicide, but the other 11 all died horrible deaths. And you might say, yeah, but don't people die for their religions today? They do, but this is different because these guys would have died knowing that it was a lie. They died knowing that it was true. If I believed it and I didn't really know, whatever, I mean, I'd have sung like a canary. Don't saw me in half lengthwise. I'm done. I, I, I was lying. But that's not what happened. What else can we do? We saw him. We heard him. Luke recounting it, saying it was broiled fish. It wasn't just fish. It was broiled fish. I saw him, and he ate it. 
It leaves me no room. You can call him a liar, but do not dumb it down and spiritualize it because it doesn't leave room for that. It has to change the way that we think. And not only does it change the way that I think, it's going to change the way that I act. Think with me. If you've ever thought about the future in heaven, the movies, Tom and Jerry, (laughs) cartoons, it's always some weird version of clouds and harps and cherubs. And could anything sound possibly more boring? I mean, for the first 13 hours or so, that'd be like a hoot. But eventually... A million years into floating on a cloud, I just want to get some stuff done. A real live Jesus doesn't allow room for a cherub floating on a cloud because he's saying in the way that I've resurrected, you are also, what does 1 Thessalonians 4 tell us? That we who are alive and remain will rise, but those who are dead in Christ will raise to meet him in the air with real live bodies. Not some like we're connecting to the matrix, like some ethereal, we're all becoming part of the common knowledge. A real live Shannon walking around. My feet are going to touch the earth. It says to me that this world is important. It's going to change the way I think and I get to change the way I act because this world is so important to us, this earth is so important to us that God isn't going to let it be completely and utterly annihilated. He's going to recreate it for us. A new heaven, a new earth because it's that important to us. It's that important to him. If it weren't important, why would he even need to recreate it? And looking to the future, if I understand that, a real live earth, a real live place, I truly believe that that means that I'm not missing out on anything. If I don't believe that, then I'm tempted to think, well, YOLO. How many dumb things have been done in the name of YOLO? Don't raise your hands. (laughs) What do they say about rednecks? How many rednecks go to the hospital right after the sentence? I wonder what will happen if I try this or YOLO. The the thing with YOLO is that it sounds good on paper, sounds great on Twitter, and it's an absolute and utter lie. You don't only live once. You're going to live again. And when I understand that, I get to live differently in the way that I relate to this world. What sacrifice? Are you kidding me? I'm going to miss out on something. The best intimacy that this world has to offer, the best wine, the best music. C.S. Lewis says this about it. He says that the far, faint, far-off results of those energies which God's creative rapture implanted in matter when he made the worlds are what we now call physical pleasures. He's saying that those physical pleasures that you feel is just a faint glimpse of this thing that God has implanted in all of us, joy and intimacy. And he says that even thus filtered, they are too much for our present management. It's why we always get in so much trouble trying to feel good. It's just too much for our our current state. What would it be, he says, to taste at the fountainhead, that stream of which even these lower reaches prove so intoxicating? Yet that, I believe, is what lies before us The whole man is to drink joy from the fountain of joy. That glimpse, the best song that you've ever heard, that Toby Keith song that just makes you tear up a little bit. I may or may not have happened this week. (laughs) It's embarrassing, but it is what it is. 
I'm a grown man. <laughs> it's just a, like a glimpse of what's to come. And I believe with all my heart if we can imagine it in such a way. Imagine it in the way that we imagine retirement in America. When we went through Financial Peace University, live in, uh, like now and you can live like no other later. You know, that, the idea is that I can picture what it would be like to retire comfortably. I can picture it so I work towards it and I do things that will accomplish that. Retirement which might last, what, a few decades if we're lucky? If I can picture eternity in the way that it really was meant to be, not in the way that Tom and Jerry told me, but in the way that Jesus himself revealed it, as a real life Jesus with real life hands and feet that eats fish, that lives, if I can imagine that, imagine how differently I'm going to act to the world around me. It means that not only am I going to act for my best interest for the future, I'm going to act now on this side of heaven. This world is worth fighting for. When we see a child, the reason that conduit is like we are and have given so much to help those who are oppressed and marginalized and poor is because they matter, and Jesus proves it by rising from the dead. They matter. So I can rest and relax knowing that the future is secure, and meanwhile, on this side of heaven, I can fight to tell a child in Africa, to tell a child in Middle Tennessee that you matter enough that Jesus would resurrect for you. That means you matter enough for me to love you the way you are. And it's no sacrifice. Are you kidding me? The resurrection says that's ridiculous. You're going to be here for a million years. What are you possibly going to miss? Put your camera away. Live your life. It doesn't just change the way that We think and act. I think N.T. Wright says it best. This is a long quote, so I'd appreciate it if you just hang with me, but it's worth remembering what a guy way smarter than me said about Easter. N.T. Wright says that if Easter means that Jesus Christ is only raised in a spiritual sense, then Easter is only about me and finding a new dimension in my personal spiritual life. But if Jesus Christ is truly risen from the dead, then Christianity becomes good news for the whole world not just for me. News that warms our hearts precisely because it is not just about warming our hearts. Easter means that in a world where injustice, degradation, and violence are endemic, God is not prepared to tolerate any such thing. And in such a world, we will take, we will work and plan to implement the victory of Jesus over them all. He goes on to say, I don't think I put it up there. Take away Easter and Karl Marx was right to accuse Christians of ignoring the problems of this material world. Freud was right to say that Christianity is wish fulfillment, and Nietzsche was right to say that Easter is for wimps. But Easter, in its reality, in a real resurrected Jesus, is not for wimps at all but for the courageous among us, for those willing to look at that and say, I'm going to change the way that I think and I'm going to change the way that I act. And not only does it change that, but when I believe something, it changes the way that I feel. It changes my heart. Uh, maybe you have binge-watched something recently where you really fell in love with the character in the, in the Netflix series or maybe you've got a 
a series of novels that you've been reading and you're, you're just so bummed when you get to the end of it. You're like, oh, I want more. I just I have more of that, that character. I really related to that and that person. If I have a real life walking around Jesus, then I don't close the book in eternity and say, oh, I just wish there was something more. I don't need the book anymore. He's alive. It's him. And he doesn't get worse when I get to know him, but better. Infinite means that there's an infinite amount of time to get to know an infinite amount of Jesus when you think about it, if you were ever to meet, and maybe you've ever, you've, maybe you've had that. I used to work in the entertainment world. Somebody would meet one of my clients on their bad day. And I'd get the email. Boy, he was a jerk. She was really mean. And a part of me thinks, well, of course they are. They're humans. On my best day, I'm going to be a disappointment to somebody. The more you get to know me, you think, oh, I really want to get to know Darren. I'm going to give you a heads up. The more you get to know me, the more disappointed you're going to be. Roger's shaking his head vigorously, yes. But it's true. The more I get to know Jesus, I don't get more disappointed. I become more impressed. And what is Mary when she goes to grab him in John 20? She goes to touch him, and Jesus says, don't touch me. Which is kind of weird because in Luke 24, he said, touch me. Touch me, don't touch me. I, what, what, do you, what is it, Jesus? What do you, what's happening here? Mary coming to the tomb, and she sees him, and she grabs onto him because the guy that she, on Friday, who was just a really good idea, the guy on Friday who was an idealist, who was something she could aspire to, on Friday, the person who thought, ah, this is a great way to subscribe to live this way, on Sunday, it wasn't an idea anymore. It was him. The search is over. It's you. And I don't have to live through these words anymore or through my memories. I get to have you, not the, the memories. Why do you think they lost the tomb? The early disciples, in those days and even to this day, great religious and holy men, especially if you've traveled globally. What do you know? The holy men, uh, gods, they, they take the tomb where they're buried and they venerate them. Catholics have made it quite the industry on that in Europe. But Jesus, you can go to Israel today. Phyllis will be there in just a week or two. And you can plop down your 20 bucks and see the tomb where Jesus was buried. But let me give you a little secret. Save your money. They don't know. They don't know that that's where his tomb was. And you know why they don't know where that is? Because they didn't need his tomb. They had him. And that first century, they lost the tomb. But why would I think about, you already know what I'm talking about, and maybe you don't even realize it. If you've got a child that's gone off to college, in those years leading up to it, you walk through their room, and it's just a room. It's a source of annoyment on some levels, because, well, I guess the carpet's not going to get dirty anyway, because it's covered in clothes. <laughs> but, but the room is just their room. And when they leave for school... Actually, we didn't really get the chance to enjoy this because when Maddie, my oldest, moved out. Literally that night, we're dropping her off at college. My middle daughter is moving in to the room. She couldn't wait. The body wasn't even cold yet, and she's moving in. <laughs> but think about it. If you're a parent that's done that and you've walked through that room after they leave, it means something more now because it was their space and their 
entire room. To take it a step deeper, for those of you maybe that have lost a child who's in heaven now and with Jesus, and you walked through their room before that, and it was just a room. But after they pass, you can't even so much as move the furniture without breaking down because it's too much. It means too much. It was their space. The disciples didn't venerate the tomb because he wasn't there. They didn't have to have the veneration. They had Jesus. And what does that do for me and for you in the way that I think, the way that I act, but in the way that I feel that this God, man, who is everything I would subscribe to and everything I ascribe to be and every aspiration I have is in him. I get to have him. You get to have him. You don't need a tomb. When Mary approached him and she fell at her knees and wanted to grab, wanted to have him all for herself, and he said, don't touch me. It's not time I'm going to send to my father. And what he was saying was that now not just Mary, you can't just have me to yourself. Everybody can have me to their self. All of you can have me. And the only people that have him, if you think of Easter this morning and you think of comfort, I would challenge you this morning. I think it's because you've spiritualized it away. You may be given it just too many platitudes, too many. It's been to rethink it this morning and be like Mary and run to him. Because if you don't have him, you probably have some version that is spiritualized or platitude or tradition, but he wants you to have him. And I promise you it'll change the way you act, it'll change the way you think, change the way you feel. And the only people that have him are the Marys, the Marys who recognize that my sin, I'm broken, I'm sinful, I'm I, I, admitting that I'm coming to him and I get to have him, not some version of him. In my brokenness, lifts her up, lifts you up and clothes you out of the old filthy rags of sin and washes you clean. That's the Jesus you get to have as our worshipers are coming back. I would ask for you to... Uh, contemplate the real resurrected Jesus. There is a real lifetime that all of us will step into eternity. Not as again, not hooking to the matrix, not some ethereal, but us, you and me. I'm not going to miss out on anything. You think 10 million years into eternity, I'm not going to be able to cover some stuff I might have thought I missed this out of heaven? You think that whatever the greatest joy I thought I could get here wouldn't, what C.S. Lewis said, is just the, I'm going to the fountainhead. All I'm doing is drinking from the faucet here. I'm going to swim in the fountainhead there. If you're a teenager in here, I want you to hear me real clear. You're going to be told by people around you on YouTube and your friends, and they're going to tell you, it's about you and live however you want. You, nobody really knows the truth. Those are people who haven't met the resurrected Jesus. He didn't leave room for that. And there is no sacrifice that he is going to ask you to make this side of heaven that will not absolutely and utterly obliterate your imagination on the other side of heaven in ways that are unfathomable this side. 
because it's a real resurrected Jesus that really walks, that really talks, that really breathes, that really likes fish. And man, what would that do? Would you stand with me and let's pray? Father, my prayer for me this morning is that you would your spirit would move in our hearts there is no sermon good enough that I could preach it's only your spirit and by your grace that you have woke us up as we sang earlier Lord there are all these stories of who you are but I know who you are I see it in the resurrected Jesus. There is no more searching. The time to make a decision is now. It's in your name that I pray. Amen. I want to speak to you real quickly. And those of you that maybe you don't have Jesus. This is your time. Paul said, hey, the time... I get it, you were seeking, you didn't know. But just like Paul said in Athens, I'm saying to you today, but that time's over. It's time to make a decision. Time to repent, change the way you think about it. Believing that he literally resurrected from the dead, that's not just a nice platitude in a sinner's prayer, it's a genuine posture to believe that. You can pray right where you are, and if you'd like me to meet with you later and pray and just engage more with Jesus, maybe fill out one of those little visitor cards, but just put, hey, I want to pray with somebody. Or even better, I'm going to be standing right here, and I'd love to pray with you right here. If you want Jesus to be yours, maybe he's, what did the disciples say? It's like, I, it's like his words are burning in my heart. I can't, maybe his words are burning in your heart this morning. Come down here. I just want to pray with you. Because he is alive and he wants to be alive to you and he wants you to have him real him not just some spiritual seeking of truth all those clues all that searching all the seeking you've done it was not pointing to someone else he wasn't pointing to truth they were all pointing to him he is the way the truth and the life I'm going to be right here would love to pray with you or find me after I'll pray with you then too for the rest of us, engage with him this morning. Change the way that you think. Change the way that you feel. And in doing so, it's going to change everything about the way that you are and the way that you act in this world.